and welcome to Voices of Recovery, a podcast about life after addiction from Serenity Lane. Our guest in the studio today has several 24 hours under his belt, and he shared what he has learned and what long-term sobriety can look like. My name is Larry. I'm an alcoholic. October 5th, 1987. I always like to tell, I don't have a real long drunk log, not that I didn't drink enough, but when I was nine years old, and I know I was nine years old because of my grandfather's 60th birthday, it was 1960, I was nine years old, I went around and there was a party and I went around, I was drinking people's drinks, I was taking puffs on cigarettes, I was the life of the party. And then I didn't feel so good and I went upstairs and and started throwing up in the, in the toilet. My sister came by, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. My stomach hurts a little bit. And then I went to bed where the bed was spinning around and I thought, wow, this is so much fun. And then I passed out. And I, I love that story because in a lot of ways it characterizes all my drinking <laughs> for all the years that I drank after that. I didn't drink much from the time I was nine till the time I was 13 or 14 or 15, but that's the way I drank. I was not a good, I was not a a great drinker. And uh, at the early age, I discovered pot. And I stopped drinking for for many years because I didn't have all the same same, uh, negative consequences that alcohol gave me, Um, which does lead to me coming out to Oregon because I thought, oh, it was the late 60s, early 70s. It was the summer of love and I had a VW bus and and I just wanted to be part of what was going on on the West Coast. I came from Michigan, it wasn't bad, but I wanted to be out where I thought the hippie movement was happening. So people say, how did you get to Oregon? I say, I came in a VW bus and then I (sighs) powered by and it was true. <laughs> I smoked pot all the way across the country and and ended up in San Francisco. And, you know, I was uh, 21, maybe 20, 21 years old. And uh, my future wife came came soon after. And um, and we um, we always had this dream of being on a farm and being hippies out on a farm and having kids. And we... Uh, Power, same VW bus, powered by the same, 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 uh, uh, same thing. Uh, we drove on up from from Oregon, from uh, California to Oregon, and to some people who had some, a piece of land, and they welcomed us. I had a big bag of pot, and they welcomed me and and her, and we were pregnant, and they helped me build a house, and we. Um, up on a hill, no electricity, no running water, just a wood cook stove and a and a and a heating stove, and uh, about three three months later, our first daughter was born in the house, with no one who knew anything about midwifery, and somehow we uh, the kid is forty five years old now, and uh, uh, it's a great memory and a great story. People in recovery sometimes like to describe the progression of their drinking as, first, it was fun, 
then it was fun with problems, and then it was just problems. For Larry, it was the pursuit of comfort and company that eventually brought him to his bottom. So what happened was I kept smoking a lot of pot, and I was in a marriage, and I eventually had two kids. My son was born here in Eugene when I was going to school to become a teacher. And eventually in that marriage, she just was like, I remember we would try to, she'd try to talk to me about stuff, and I'd, I'd get loaded and say, hey, everything's fine, no worry, it's not a problem. And eventually uh, there was uh, enough problem that she said she's out. And, uh, but it was, as I look back, it was because I was so unavailable. That's what pot did for me. It gave me a lot of relief, but it made me so unavailable. It's when I always say I started drinking again, not because I got divorced. It sounds like, oh, I was sad I got divorced. No, it was because I wanted to meet, meet new people, new women. And so I, the place for me to meet him was in bars. And when you go to a barber shop, you get your hair cut. When you go to a bar, you, you drink. I learned how to drink a lot better than I had in my early days. And those last six years were, were filled with, with, with alcohol and drugs. And it was actually the, the harder drugs that, that really got me uh, totally hopeless and, and scared and took me to the place where, where I thought I needed some help. Help to get it where I could use like a gentleman. And I like to say if I could drink like a gentleman, I'd be, I'd be drunk right now. So Larry went looking for some help, learning to drink like a gentleman. I went to an outpatient program up, in, up near Portland where, where my ex-wife and my children live. They let me live with them. Uh, so it was a four-week outpatient program where I, I believe treatment programs are good for getting your feet on the ground. But my biggest belief is they're not enough for continued sobriety. And I know, I'm pretty sure they all lead you to some sort of program, 12-step program, uh, because that's where I've found um, long-term sobriety is in is in AA. Uh, that's where I got the, where the treatment got me, my head quiet enough and my brain working better to be able to be open. And, and then doing meetings every day for a year got me fully engaged in recovery. That made a difference. I didn't need to detox. I, the last day I drank a couple of beers, smoked the rest of my hash, and went into went, went to my first treatment group. And the next day I just said, I'm done. I, I think I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. It didn't take long for Larry's ideas to change. Over his month in outpatient, his thinking shifted and a few new ideas began to take hold. Because I remember the, uh, the intake person asking me what I would like to get out of it. And I said, well, I'd just like to cut down my use. I'd like to maybe be able to drink wine with dinner or a beer with dinner. I thought that was a reasonable goal. I didn't understand anything about recovery at that point. But I went into a, this outpatient program uh, 
And I think there was something happened in that first month there that really kind of at least got my attention. And it's a story I often tell how there was an 18-year-old girl in that woman, young woman in that room, and I was a 36-year-old man. And I felt that first week, I felt so sorry for her. I thought, oh my gosh, you're never going to be able to use again. And I've had 18 more years of, of, of great using and drinking and so much fun. And the next week, it had totally flip-flopped, where I thought how lucky she was to be there at 18 and how I had missed out on a great part of those 18 years that I spent using and drinking. Um, and it kind of opened my eyes to some things, especially I had at that point, I had an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old uh, 14-year-old child um, who hadn't had their dad completely. They had him, but as an alcoholic. As Larry mentioned, treatment was just the beginning for him. And while he had opened the door to a new way of living, a life in recovery wasn't his early goal. Initially, his motivation was repairing and rebuilding relationships with his family. I still wasn't sure I wanted to get sober. I did want to have a relationship with my children. So I stuck around, and what happened was I started going to meetings. I got a sponsor. I started working the steps to the best of my ability, not very well, but to the best of my ability. I f started to develop a higher power um, to find that. And months passed, and I didn't drink, and I didn't use. Larry had what people in recovery describe as the feeling of having their compulsion to drink and use lifted. This is when the cravings to drink or use lessen or go away. Not everyone will experience this in early recovery, but it does happen for most people eventually. That doesn't mean the work is over, though. So many people talk about having the compulsions to use, the urges to use, and for some reason I was just so lucky that that was removed from me from day one. My behavior didn't change at day one. My thinking didn't change at day one. But I, what I found was that um, I started finding some, um, some peace of mind that I hadn't had in the years, years prior to my coming to AA. Uh, and what I realized was that I wasn't there only because of my drinking and, and drugging. That was the easiest part of my recovery. Uh, I, after maybe six, eight months, I wasn't interested. I felt like I was done, at least for then. I was done using because what I realized was that my behavior was had been so... Um, uh, I was confused about what, what was important. I went to a Halloween party early on in my recovery. I dressed up as the Invisible Man, and um, it's a raincoat with 
bandages around your eyes, sunglasses. And I thought no one would really know me. I wanted to be invisible. What I noticed was, and this was a party I'd been to many times, was that no one drank the way I did. Or I didn't see it. People weren't drunk the way I was drunk at, the, at that party. And that was really a wake-up call for me that, that I really wasn't. Not only I was an alcoholic, but it really affected my behavior badly. And that's why I stuck around AA. I started to learn, learn things that, that, that were so much part of me that didn't serve me well. And it's been my life's work for 31 years, actually, is that sixth and seventh step, looking at my character defects and how they and turn the right direction, become character assets. A quick editorial note on the term character defect. In recovery speak, a character defect is an idea or emotion that drives destructive behavior. These are normal desires for things like success, happiness, and companionship that turn into greed, selfishness, and codependency. Even to this day, you know, I have not re reached perfection yet. So those character defects of selfishness, self-centeredness, uh, arrogance, um, the things that have always plagued me still continue to, to come up. I have solutions now that uh, because I can see when things are uh, going sideways for me, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But um, I have uh, uh, people I talk to, multiple people I consider friends, sponsors, guides. And uh, so I continue 31 years later to continue to work on my, my behavior and what it, uh, how it affects especially the people around me. Larry mentions steps six and seven as foundational to his work converting character defects into assets. For those who might not know, six and seven are the transformation steps in the 12-step model. They follow the fourth and fifth step, where a person inventories their troublemaking ideas and behaviors and then becomes ready and willing to let them go. They are some of the most change-making parts of the 12-step recovery model, although it takes some study and practice to really work them on a daily basis. In the book, if you read it, it's a really wham-bam uh, step. You do your fist up, you go home, you think about it for a while, you look at the book, you read the page, and you go, okay, God, I'm ready. Please remove these character defects. I wish it was that easy. Um, and I've worked six and seven. I, I can, I think that six and seventh is the work of the continual work of of my program. Yeah, I do prayer and meditation. That's in, in step eleven. I do a daily inventory. Step ten. I work with others at step twelve. But that six and seven for me is the is the real for me the real meat of the program right now. Because if I if I really mess up on that. Then I'm headed towards doing things that I have to make amends for. If I don't make the amends, I end up having to do inventories about it. It sets me way back in, in what I think is a forward motion. 
So if I'm not moving forward, I am slipping backwards. I know that. So um, I remember an early on doing a, a, a seven step and my sponsor had me write out my character, def what, what I thought some of my character defects were. And I had this, you know, half page of, of, of defects. And he was trying to get me to, to, uh, um, to really categorize him into what it was all about. And he's a, a really big guy with a really loud voice. And he's, he's all, to me, it felt like he was yelling. And especially when he started knocking my head with the book, you know, what is it? What is it? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and finding it's like selfishness and self-centeredness. Yes. And he stopped yelling. He stopped hitting me. And uh, <laughs> it's painful sometimes. But, um, you know, the, and, and it says in the book somewhere that uh, selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our, all of our problems. And I can almost trace all of my, my character defects back to only thinking about myself rather than how it affects others, the world, people close to me. Over time, the work on character defects becomes routine. Through trial and error, new ideas and behaviors are formed. For Larry, the work has paid off. He has found peace and learned that good acts don't require praise or even recognition. The reward is in the action, not the applause. I'd like to think I'm a much kinder person. I think I am. Uh, I'd like to think I'm a person who is much more caring about others. I've got enough got a, a body of evidence now to, to convince myself that I do things because, I was going to say, because it feels good. It does feel good. So, I mean, it goes back to being a little bit selfish, but I do things that are good and kind, and I don't have to tell anything about it. That's probably one of the bigger differences is that I don't have to talk about what a great person I am because I did something nice. That's just the right thing to do. And I think I tried to be, be a person like that in the past, but I had to make sure everyone knew that uh, I had been kind or generous. Uh, and now if I can I don't have to let others others know. If they find out, that's fine. And uh, there, but it's not the 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 goal to be acknowledged by others. It's just to do the right thing. Larry is proof that a little treatment goes a long way. His long-term recovery started with four weeks of outpatient treatment, where he spent the first week or two hoping to learn to drink like a gentleman. The real recovery came after he became willing and got into action. And he is pretty certain anyone can do what he did. I'm pretty much a believer if you go to 90 meetings in 90 days and get a sponsor and work the steps, that you can get sober. Even if you have some, some mental health issues or some family issues, there's all sorts of reasons why people don't get sober. Uh, and they're, to me, they're just excuses. Yeah, we all have challenges in life. Um, 
but I had a very, I slept through a lot of my outpatient program, to be honest with you. It was late, it was at night, and I, it was, it just, I don't know, I just would get sleepy-eyed. And then I went to maybe six months of, maybe it was, it wasn't intensive outpatient, patient it was like once a week actually serenity lane let me come for once a week for a, a support group and and that was helpful to me but where i really really got engaged in the program was in meetings that's where i really uh really dug in asked Larry to tell me a little bit about how life is different today. After 31 years in recovery, there have been some big life changes, but the one important constant, today he has a solution. It's a big difference. Uh, I was 36 years old, I was still working. And um, so you looked at my life, I had a job, I had a car, I had a house, looked pretty good. Uh, today I'm retired. And uh, so things are a lot different in that way. But, but when I, yeah, when I was running a gun and I'd get up in the morning and I'd have to smoke a joint to, to get myself ready for the day. And I was going in and working with kids. But I was, but that really was the, the fuel for me to be, go in there with a big smile on my face and what I thought was funny, cute, or uh, appropriate. Um, I'd make it through the day. I would make it through the day, but the first thing I did when I got home was, was either have a drink or have a joint. And the funny thing was, uh, I, I always compared myself to my dad. My dad would come home from work and he'd pour himself, uh, he'd have a couple drinks. I drank with him sometimes. His couple drinks got me drunk. Turned out he was like an alcoholic. So he was a nice alcoholic. He was not a bad guy, he was a good guy. But I was comparing myself to him thinking, oh, I'm like my dad, I come home from work and I have a couple drinks or I smoke a joint. <clears throat> and I needed that to just to, to get by every day. And stay stoned all night long or drunk all night long <clears throat> and then get up and repeat it over again. And then the weekends were just really just, you know, fired even, even, even stronger. Nowadays, I'm, I mean, even when I, I mean, obviously I worked many years as an educator actually. Um, and I woke up and coffee was my, <laughs> got me started. I went in much more, uh, I'm much more, much more balanced. Don't have that, you know, still smiling, but not silly or um, just learned how to, to manage my day um, without, without using. The biggest difference is, and I see this all the time now in my days, that when I have a, uh, a problem, when I have a, th a bad thought, that I have a solution today. I know that I know what's going on. I know what I'm thinking, and I know that I need to to do something about it. That do something is real simple. It's about praying about it. Uh, it's about uh, reflecting. It's about pausing. 
not acting out of anger or resentment and and that's the biggest difference in the in the days it's not just the using it's how my brain works my brain is just so much difference 30 years it's it's and it's still evolving though it's hard to work a program of recovery without some form of spirituality there is a lot of language about God and a higher power, which can be confusing or off-putting for many people. So I asked Larry how he managed it and what his spirituality looks like today. I go in once a week to talk to some young kids who are incarcerated and they identify as alcoholics. And we read through the steps and I always say, I know we're saying God a whole lot here. We are not a religious program. We are, it's a spiritual program. We use the word God because it's easier to say than higher power. And I try to, you know, and I think I, I needed that for myself as well to know, not that I had bad experiences with religion, but to, to this is not a religious program. And I think it's, it's been important to me to, to use, I use God because it is just so much easier to say and people really can identify with it. But higher power in the beginning was just real important for me to think about a power greater than myself. And that was easy for me. When I was, I, uh, when I was in control, I was out of control. So to turn my life over to a power greater than myself, that was pretty easy. I didn't want to be out of control anymore. And certainly my higher power has evolved. Talking about it is not ever easy. It's, it, it, I'd be fumbling for words. What I do know is, I use the expression, leaning into my higher power. Because when I'm, when I have a feeling, if I'm confused, irritated, angry, um, those are times for me to, to go into some prayer, some meditation, and I, th I have that thought of leaning in to my higher power where, where I get comfort, where if I listen during meditation, I can find, possibly find what the will is of my higher power for me and the, and the power to carry that out. Rather than leaning away and being self-reliant, it's that image of me leaning into something where the answers can be found. And it brings me comfort and, and uh, usually uh, helps me go forward rather than backwards. If there is one thing Larry knows today, it is this. Life without drugs is just so much easier. Life without alcohol is so much easier for me. Uh, it's just so much easier. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Voices of Recovery. This week's episode was recorded and edited by Thaddeus Moore at Sprout City Studios. Music for this week's episode composed and performed by Sammy Gallo. Written and narrated by me, Monique Danziger. Thank you to our guest, Larry. 
If you liked this episode, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you'd like to learn more about our alumni program or be a guest on the podcast, go to serenitylane.org forward slash alumni. See you next time.